1: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is Political Rewind. If my voice sounds a little unfamiliar, don't worry, you're in the right place. I'm Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I'm filling in today for my good friend Bill Nygut. As always, we have a lot of news in Georgia, the country, and the world. But of course, all of our eyes are on Plains, Georgia, because Jimmy Carter entered hospice care last weekend. The outpouring of emotion and good wishes for the former president has been enormous. And today we have a special show that will take on one of Carter's favorite topics, housing, including its affordability and some very troubling trends in our state. As we know, in his post-presidency, Jimmy Carter built houses for Habitat for Humanity for more than 35 years, something he and his wife, Rosalind, began in America's Georgia in 1984. He volunteered weekly with his wife until 2020. With that in mind, let's look into the issue of affordable housing in Atlanta and Georgia. And we have a great panel here to unpack it all. Brian Eason, my colleague at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, joins me. Brian, you know, your work on our recent investigative series, which uh, I think you, you came up with the name. If not, I'm going to give you credit for it. Uh, American Dream for Rent. Uh, And that series reveals that some, I would say, powerful forces are at work in metro Atlanta's housing market that not a lot of us can necessarily see and understand. And a lot of those forces uh, aren't that good. So welcome, Brian. Well, thank you. I'll I'll take the credit, although I
2: don't think it was my name. But uh, Uh, again, I'll take the credit.
1: Yeah. Good move on your part. Yeah, Uh, We also have King Williams, an Atlanta native journalist and documentarian who made uh, The Atlanta Way, an insightful film. King, I know you're excited to dive into this topic. Good to see you.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: We also have State Senator Nikki Merritt. Senator Merritt, I know this is an issue about which you are passionate as well.
0: That is correct, Kevin, and I am so happy to be on here to talk about it. Part of the reason I went to the well last week was to really sound the alarm and bring more attention uh, to this issue.
1: And we also have uh, the majority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives, Chuck Evstration. Chuck, workforce housing is one of Governor Kemp's priorities this session, right? Well, that's right. I want to thank you, Kevin, for
4: having me on today. And thank you for the uh, tribute to President Carter beginning the show. I know that uh, he and his family continue to be in our thoughts and prayers right now and
1: really look forward to uh, to discussing this topic with you today. It's good to have all of you. So I'm going to I'm going to dive right into this. And Brian, I'm going to start with you. But uh, before I do that, I'm going to do my best to summarize the findings in that serious in that series that we did, and uh, make sure the audience kind of starts with this this basic information. And here it is. In the wake of the Great Recession, investors scooped up thousands of single-family homes across Metro Atlanta. And in doing that, they compete against families for a limited supply in all but the wealthiest neighborhoods. And instead of people being able to buy houses and build wealth as residents... Those homes are now in the hands of large investors who are interested in the profits that they can bring them. And some of these investment groups own dozens of homes. The five largest owners bought homes by the thousands. In all, large investors own more than 65,000 Metro Atlanta homes today, and they plan to keep buying. And they disproportionately target starter homes in communities of color. All right, Brian, how did this happen?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it it, it all goes back to, to the housing crisis, right? And, I mean, if folks that can remember back that long, I mean, it was truly a crisis. We had hundreds of, like, over 100,000 homes entering foreclosure every year at, at that time in, in Atlanta. Um, and so federal policymakers were looking around going, what can we do about this? How can we get these homes off of um, out of the control of banks and out of the control of the federal government. And the group that they landed on to say, hey, can you help us out with this, was private equity. Private equity had a lot of money. Um, and so they started these these bulk sales to to private equity firms. Now, Now, that pilot program actually didn't work in Atlanta. Like, they tried to sell in bulk in Atlanta, didn't happen. But the federal government still put this idea in the head of private equity of like look we can do like large scale single family rental housing and we can manage it remotely and we can do it all over the country and atlanta today has ended up being really if not the top market at least one of the one of the top few in the united states for for this business model
1: well let me just make sure i've got this right before i bring some other people you know the other folks into in the conversation you're telling me that the American dream of owning a home, which the government has really supported in most ways, I think since the end of World War II, they actually the government has actually helped cause this this problem.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they so you know, and again, we can we can go back and, and relitigate the housing crisis and the response to that, and whether this was this was the right call at the time. But I think what What's, you know, even more alarming to a lot of folks is that the federal government continued to assist these companies long after the crisis was over. Um, as recently as I think 20, 2017, uh, some of these large firms were getting low interest loans through through Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac that enabled them to buy to really ramp up their their purchases. Um, so, you know, and again, this thing started with, with foreclosures. It started with homes that were being sold for $50,000, 100000 Today, you know, they're bringing cash and outbidding people at market rates. And they're bidding up prices at market rates. And, uh, you know, we had one realtor who said, look, they go, over at, they go after every house listed at under $500,000. Immediate multiple bids, sometimes 10, 20 bids from from investors. And, and that's what home buyers are facing in the market right now.
1: Uh, so King, I mean, let's talk a little bit about how Atlanta's changed and in part its prosperity has brought this on. But we would hear, right? I think we all probably had friends who were trying to buy houses. And you would hear from people, I just, I can't make an offer fast enough. Or I made a an offer even above the asking price and I still got outbid. I, I got outbid by, a ca-. that's what was going on, right? I mean, behind the scenes. That's how Atlanta's housing market has changed.
3: Yeah, it's changed. And the, the biggest thing is be, between where it is now in 2023 and where it was even in 2013 to 2018 is that you had a lot more local investors, people who maybe own 10 or 15 properties, bidding on properties, in addition to your everyday John and Jane who are just trying to get properties. What's different now over the last five years is not only private equity, you also have a lot of people from outside of the city of Atlanta, outside of the state of Georgia, who also realize these factors. And so people in Los Angeles, people in California, broadly people in Texas and, and New York can bid on these homes as well. So you have a market where the local cannot get in because there's too many other markets that have a lot more cash to introduce in addition to private equity.
1: Well, it's a it's a a strange problem. And I think we all saw symptoms of it without realizing maybe what was going on in the big picture. So, uh, Senator Merritt, first, before you tell us, I want you to describe your district a little bit. And then so that our our listeners know uh, the area that you represent and where your area of concern is. And then let us know what you're hearing from your constituents.
0: Absolutely. So my I live in Gwinnett County. I uh, my district is Grayson, is Lawrenceville, and Lilburn. Um, high suburban areas. Uh, a lot of my constituents do own their homes, specifically in Grayson. But now we are seeing um, more homes as we are talking about being scooped up by investors that are for sale, um, and we are also seeing more of these build to rents that are popping up around our suburban areas. And frankly, my my constituents are upset about it. Um, These subdivisions, um, you know, they often leave these properties vacant, blighted, unkept. They're angry at the renters and the landlords for not taking care of properties, which affects their neighborhood values and quality of living. And, uh, you know, these are my homeowners invest a lot in their homes for comfort, safety of their family, because, you know, the the goal here and what everybody wants is to live in a good neighborhood. And it's very concerning that we have uh, outside investors coming in, not only um, uh, taking up the market, um, but when they do, they're not even taking care of the properties uh, that they're assuming. Uh, so that is um, really what is concerning my constituents in in, in my area.
1: Now, now, uh, Representative evstration, what about you? What are you hearing from from folks in your in your district?
4: Well, Kevin, my district, the legislative district I represent, actually adjoins Senator Merritt's district uh, in Gwinnett County. So, um, I, I think that uh, what's important to note is in at least the perception that I've had is that. Um, starter homes, you might call them, homes that are affordable for first-time home buyers who may have some assistance with the down payment to initially make them. Those really were available was uh, was my sense for, for many years. And it seemed that during the pandemic um, that, that things really changed in that regard. That's something that uh, I've received considerable input about and really, to the uh, the discussion we're having here and the excellent reporting by the AJC on this issue, the debate that I've heard about it in the last two, three years has been investment, particularly from investors from outside of the state of Georgia, um, coming in to buy housing within the state, uh, doing so on a large scale, often with a great deal of uh, private equity money or, or uh, other investor money. And that that's done, as King was saying, from folks who live outside of our state, or even I've heard of investment that's from international sources coming into Georgia. And I think for many years, we were very proud of um, the fact that we had a uh, good uh, affordable cost of living in our state that Uh, We were in a position where uh, you could, your dollar really went a long way in Georgia. And I think with the increased inflation we've seen in the past few years, particularly impacting housing prices and uh, and other day-to-day cost of living expenses, um, that that that's greatly impacting uh, uh, our constituents. And so I I think that uh, the discussion about what to do in response to it is kind of where we are at this point. But the issue is well-acknowledged.
1: Senator Merritt. You're on mute, I think, Senator Merritt.
0: Sorry. Uh, I just want to point out that also state law is is adding to the problem. Our state laws uh, uh, block our local governments for uh, for making it easier to find these landlords. Uh, Georgia is one of the most uh, landlord-friendly states in the country with high barriers for renters to seek protections and minimal requirements for landlords. And we don't have nearly enough tenant protections built into uh, Georgia law making us very attractive for outside investors. Uh, I just think that we are part of the problem. Our state laws are part of the problem.
4: Well, I want to just jump in. I know that the AJC really began with an impressive series, the Dangerous Dwellings series, really highlighting many of the concerns that tenants face in the state of Georgia. And this just this isn't just a Metro Atlanta issue; it's a statewide issue. It's where tenants are um, in places that are not only uninhabitable. There's places you wouldn't even want to visit. They are they are dealing with conditions that are really outrageous. Additionally. You know, uh issues of crime are occurring in certain locations that uh that make it dangerous for residents, the elderly children who are in these uh in these um apartments to to be at home. And so I'm I'm very proud of the fact the General Assembly has responded very quickly with the Safe at Home Act. It's House Bill four oh four to really make uh, marked improvement as to these issues that have been identified. And I think it's important to note, Kevin, that uh, a balanced approach is important here. Not all landlords um, are the cause of the problem. And when you really drill down into it, there, are, there is a certain percentage uh, that are the real cause of these outrageous uh, issues. Now, I will disagree a little bit with Senator Merritt on the fact we actually have some uh, we have state law already that would empower local governments to go after these slum lords and really uh, force uh, uh, the improvements be made. But as the AJC pointed out, it was important that we include in the code that uh, dwelling houses must be habitable; that there must be certain protections, including a right to cure. Uh, that during a pending eviction, that the air conditioning cannot be turned out. I mean, in the South, the air conditioning is important as electricity, running water, anything else. I mean, it's critical. And um, and other important protections, including when uh, criminals are operating within an apartment complex, that there be an ex- expedited process for uh, eviction so that these problems can be proactively addressed. What we don't want is to have an unbalanced approach that further limits affordable housing, that makes this problem that we're discussing even worse. And so I'm I'm appreciate there is uh there is quite a bit of discussion about this issue at the Capitol right now and many different legislative proposals. And I think that this debate is is very healthy for our state, and that we need to pass meaningful legislation to address this issue
1: all right well let me do this let's hold off a little bit uh we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves on some of these solutions and things and let's talk a little bit more about what's going on so that people can have the background and again as as uh leaders of our state uh the two legislators on the on the show can talk a little bit about where they see this going but let's step back i mean Brian, uh, talk a little bit about. Well, let me let me do this first. Let's make a distinction here, okay? Because we ha- there has been a lot of discussion of housing. So there's been a big discussion in Atlanta about affordable housing, and in particular, that is focused on people in low income situations who need housing that is affordable to them, and is safe, and is habitable. And that that was a we, we, we wrote about that. We've done a lot about that. But in this case, Brian, what we're talking about is more something that affects middle class people, people who are trying to buy that first house. And now we're, we're beginning to see a crisis in that situation where people just can't get there. So, I mean, what's wrong with having corporations own houses that they rent? I mean, what what happens to neighborhoods and to people in those situations? And then, King, I want you to jump in on this, too.
2: It's funny. So there's a there's a professor at Georgia Tech, actually, that I was talking to about this, who uh, her names Laura Raymond. And she she made the comment to me that was like, you know, I honestly wouldn't be writing papers about these companies. I would not care about these companies if they would just be good landlords. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with renting out a house like we've had. Mom-and-pop landlords forever that provide something that people need like how many all of us have rented at some point in our lives Um, people Rent for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they rent because they need to sometimes they rent because they want to there's nothing wrong with with rental housing Uh, the challenge with with what we've been seeing is Is twofold number one? You know homeownership is still the number one source of of middle-class wealth so uh, if you're someone trying to buy a home, most of us we need a mortgage. You come to the table with a mortgage, trying to get a mortgage, waiting on the mortgage to get approved, waiting on the appraisal, and Wall Street comes in with cash. A lot of times the seller is just going to take cash. It's not it's not a fair it's not a fair playing field. So that's that's problem number 1. Problem number 2 is that they genuinely don't take care of these homes a lot of times. Um, and, you know, we talked to, we talked with one renter, uh, uh, the, the majority leader mentioned, uh, mentioned air conditioning in the South, right? We talked to one renter who, her air conditioning was out all summer. We had a record June heat wave this summer. Uh, she had to move her daughter into a hotel for a couple of weeks during that because her out of state investor backed landlord would not fix the air conditioning. Um, she went to code enforcement, (laughs) code enforcement said, yep, this is a problem. We're going to cite you for two violations. The landlord still did not fix the air conditioning. The air conditioning that went out at the start of June, end of May did not get fixed until the second week of August. Um, in the meantime, this woman is incurring all kinds of costs for when she had to stay in a hotel. Uh, She had to throw out a lot of furniture and clothing because guess what? In the South, you don't have air conditioning. You're going to have mold move in because it gets so humid that your stuff's going to be ruined. So all that happens, code enforcement, months later, it wasn't until October that code enforcement hits this company with a $500 fine. $500 doesn't mean a lot when you're a company that got a $240 million loan that was backed by... Freddie Mac I mean I don't know what a woman in her situation is is supposed to do and uh, you know we say that local government has tools that they don't use that's very much the case Um, but we've also seen local governments say we don't know what to do we can't find these people Uh, this particular company got the got the code enforcement case delayed because he said Oh, I didn't know about the hearing. And you know what? In Georgia, that's a plausible defense. And the reason it's a plausible defense is that the LLC that he that this company purchased, they hadn't updated the registry data yet. So, so you you go to the secretary of state's office, and it's still registered under this under the prior owner. Um, so there are just all these hurdles to getting a hold of landlords and. You know, I think some local government officials would would tell you that that that's intentional on the landlord's part.
1: Uh, King, jump in here. I mean, you you uh, obviously have documented a lot of housing stuff and it's a passion of yours. But what's what do you see here? It's a few things. Right. Just to, to piggyback on
3: that is in the case of Atlanta, we need to think a lot about city and metro, because at one point in time, this was like a very separate city issue versus a metro issue. But now these are one and the same. The thing we want to be kind of looking at is where are these pockets coming about? These are pockets of vulnerability. Um, These are places that either have a high rate of suburbanization, a high rate of of changes in ownership. And more importantly, these places now, like you look at your DeKalb, your Fayette's, your, your Clayton and Henry's, these are places that will likely have a lot more people who are transient. And so that's going to bring about a marketplace on a much larger scale now that's going to be subject to a lot of these predatory things. The thing is, Atlanta is not a bubble. And so while it may be happening in these particular counties, first, it is moving into places like Coweta County and moving even further out of those borders. So it's not just in our 11-county metro area. It's really, when you start thinking about this as a 30-county North Georgia issue, because it's just too vulnerable and it's too easy to kind of develop and, and redevelop new markets in some cases, 12 uh, months out. All
1: right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break here. I've gotta get a a break in, so um, stay with us. We'll be right back on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News's extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on Political Rewind. I'm Kevin Riley, in for Bill Nygut. Uh, let's get back to our panel: Georgia House Majority Leader Chuck Estration, State Senator Nikki Merritt, King Williams, and the AJC's Brian Eason. Okay, so we just had a pretty impassioned uh, uh, discussion about uh, about this issue, but it, it it is it isn't simple. I mean, uh, what strikes me about it is that, in part, what we're seeing is a a problem that is somewhat new to our society, in, in hitting the middle class with with this housing issue. And in part because of Atlanta's prosperity. Uh, I mean, representative administration, I mean, that's part of what's going on. I mean, Atlanta being an attractive place to live and and do business is part of why this is happening, right?
4: That That's right. So uh, we have had just a string of exciting economic development announcements coming from the governor's office and the Department of Economic Development. Major uh, manufacturing and um, and other industries moving to Georgia, and as the those uh, industries come and we tout all the new jobs, there has to be housing available for the individuals who are going to have those jobs. And I know that that was a centerpiece of the governor's state of the state address, uh, the talk about with uh, Hyundai, with other uh, major announcements, Rivian and SK Battery and other major um, future focused uh, manufacturing, that there has to be workforce housing available to accommodate the requirements of those. So the I think the exciting aspect of this discussion is we're talking about workforce housing in rural Georgia, where an economic development focus can have um, a tremendous impact. But this is not just a rural Georgia issue. It's an issue impacting all of our state as I was discussing earlier, and um, along with the good of exciting economic development projects, we have to consider and address where the employees are going to
0: live.
1: Now, now, Senator Merritt, I mean, one of the other things happening here, according to uh, our reporting at the AJC, is that uh, it, these are hitting this issue is hitting black neighborhoods particularly hard, and, and I guess why is that? I mean, investors wouldn't necessarily intentionally do that, I, I don't think, but why, why is that happening?
0: Right. And, okay, hold on. And I, you know, targeting Black neighborhoods is not new. Um, th- there is a long history of the wealth gap between white and Black families and home or- ownerships and redlining uh, certain neighborhoods to make them unattractive. Um, all of this is combined, I think, in part of the problem, you know, the investor activity has resulted in 4% uh, less black ownership, black ownership, and the uh, single family ownership has traditionally been with, you know, those middle-class families, they've been able to build wealth, but black families in particular, don't forget, there's always been that wealth racial wealth gap with home ownership in 2022 74.6% of white households own their homes compared to 45.3% of black households uh, that's a gap of more than 29 points in comparison in the 1960s when i think this actually started was happening the white ownership uh, white own, home ownership uh, rate was 65% and the black rate was Thirty-eight percent, and that's a twenty-seven point gap. So now we've seen that this the gap is has increased. And if you look at these maps and these investment properties in Metro Atlanta, you will see the greatest concentrations are in these historically black parts of town, where there are more impoverished folks um, that can't. Maybe they can't afford loans. Maybe you know they have credit issues. Um, I just I, I think it's very predatory. Uh, And we're not helping these families um, achieve home ownership. But this has always been historically a problem um, with uh, black families. And the other thing I want to touch on while we're here, as we're talking has been said before, we do need balanced regulation. We don't want to eliminate the local res, uh, regulations. In fact, we want to support those local agencies and their ability to hold out-of-state investors accountable. And it is a delicate balance. We don't want too much of zoning because that can result in too high costs on affordability. But we also can't have um, the, the, the bad actors coming in as well. And then two, we need more plans to increase home ownership. And and to make a point about the penalties, uh, you know, I think our local uh, local governments don't have enough power. We should be increasing those penalties on landlords. I actually have a bill that would increase those penalties. It starts at a thousand, but if you keep doing it, it goes up. And I would love some support in that because I think it's a slap on the wrist. As uh, Brian was saying, you know, they go into court and pay these fines. That's That's nothing for them. But if we start making um, our home ownership environment and what's happening in Atlanta more untenable for them and uncomfortable and making it so that they can't get these large profits, we can push them out.
1: So, Brian, I wanted to come back to you for a second, too. So one of the challenges with this issue writ large, of course, is figuring out what's going on. Which was a big part of what you're reporting and our and our colleagues at the AJC did. Could you just kind of run over that? Like, how did how did you figure out uh, what was going on here? And um, then we can kind of go on to you know some of the further discussion. But
2: yeah, so so the Atlanta Regional Commission had uh, and. A number of academic researchers had already kind of been been looking into this issue before before we came along. But um, what we were able to do um, was we were able to take these these LLCs that you know it, LLC is a it's a limited liability company. It's basically a shell company for for a, a corporation, right? Um, and so the owners of these the owners of these houses, like it's hard to. One uh, so one particular company, Invitation Homes, right? If you pull their um, their filings with the with the SEC, you'll find that they own dozens. Like it's page after page of shell companies that are. Technically owned by invitation homes and the person living in that in that home their their landlord is they know it's invitation homes But if you're a local government if you're a journalist, you're not going to see invitation homes on that property record. You're gonna see uh, AI Colfin six, you know, it's um, It's a lot of letters that don't really make a lot of sense to you or I Um, so what we were able to do was trace the ownership of these of these uh, of the shell companies that own the home, figure out who the parent company is, um, and from there we were able to, uh, and and that's all using kind of county property records, um, and from there we were able to to map it and 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 show uh, to uh, to Senator Merritt's point that. Yes, this is happening more in in African American neighborhoods. We were also able to show that places that had more investor activity, uh, home prices were were rising faster. Um, look, we, we know that home but prices isn't that good if
1: you're you live in a neighborhood and the prices of homes go up.
2: Uh sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say there has been no benefit to to people. If if you're an existing homeowner and your your prices are going up because of the buying spree, um yeah, you've just built more equity in your home. But where are you going to go? Prices are 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 up everywhere. If you sell that house, um you know, a lot of times the the places that you're going to be able to buy those prices have have gone right up as well, um, and you know those rising prices also increase your property tax bill. If you're on fixed income, uh, that might not be so so welcome. Um, and and I think the point about the prices is, is more just that, you know, you know, the, the industry sa- says you know we're not affecting home ownership. Um, we are providing a a valuable needed thing. There's demand for rental housing. We're providing that. Sure. Yeah, there is absolutely demand for rental housing. Um, the point about the prices, though, is that you know you, it's it's kind of common sense, right? Like if we're going to bring in a whole lot of out of state money into this market, it is going to make housing more expensive for for everyone else if you're if you're trying to buy and, and compete against that.
1: So, uh, Representative Stration, I mean, this has been a pretty uh, uh, tough issue. You know, coming at it from the um costs of housing and how it's affecting people. But on the other hand, it's also clear Georgia doesn't have enough places for all the people who want to live here, especially metro Atlanta, correct? I mean, we have to have someone right. who's willing to build houses and and provide them for people, right?
4: Well, I think to Senator Merritt's point, there has to be a balanced approach to really identify the problematic uh, landlords, the companies that are causing the issues primarily, I will just say that this is a complex problem because uh, discussing legislative solutions to uh, specifically address, say, out-of-state investors or um, uh, the underlying causes of um, of uh, what's going on right now, attempts uh, at the Capitol to either further limit or empower local governments in different ways. I think can have different implications in different parts of the state. And that needs to be understood here at the Capitol before we move forward with measures like that. So uh, it's a complex issue. I will say that the um, in the budget, the governor's recommended budget, which uh, has been supported by the General Assembly in this area to address workforce housing needs um, from the economic development standpoint is important. And as the governor said in the state of the state address, Workforce and affordable housing is an important, continues to be an important issue uh, here at the State Capitol and that solutions are being sought. There have been bills, uh, which I know your reporters have covered, about efforts to preempt local governments on uh, on how uh, considerations are made locally. And, you know, sometimes local governments say that their hands are in some ways tied because if they uh, deny a certain type of use, say a rental only type neighborhood, they may be concerned about a lawsuit resulting from that. What about property rights as far as how the use is going to be made? Or would a rental only neighborhood actually improve access so that uh, affordable housing is available within the uh, area? And this, in my mind, goes back to how these issues um, are often th- there. There is a different impact depending on the part of the state that you're talking about, the availability of housing already, economic development projects that may be in the works, or uh, the need, the future need for uh, for housing in a certain area, and and many other uh, many other considerations. This is a complex topic, but it we have to give it attention because it is uh, it is impacting our state in a in a substantial way. Now, I, I just final thing I'll say on this often the how the Fed sets the interest rates or what uh, fed the fed, it's been talked about earlier about the federal government's policy. Brian was discussing federal policy in certain regards. We in state government don't have the ability often to. <laughs> um give input as that is being debated in washington dc and we are left with the implications of federal policy and what we're going to do in response and uh and so we will remain vigilant here in state government but uh but our focus has to be on what we can control in fact to address this problem
1: so so king uh based on on what uh Representative administration just said there, I mean, and as someone who's been following this for this broad issue for a long time, what kind of future do you see or what kind of future would you recommend? How about how about that? Like what what could we do here?
3: Okay, I can answer both. What do I see and what do I recommend? Um there's on what I see, we do see a future in which these problems continue, even 10 years from now, right? We're not necessarily addressing a lot of the issues because a lot of it's very complicated in the things that we've already said. So there is a future in which Metro Atlanta just keeps expanding. Uh, we do hit the ARC's projections of 2.9 million additional people, and we still don't have enough housing units to fix, fix that. Uh, what do I see though going forward is a couple things. I actually do think you're gonna see a lot more innovation, especially coming out of the city of Atlanta that other places are gonna start adapting. Um, Mayor Dickens, the city council, they've been very forward with some new ideas. I think the biggest change that's gonna be now is Atlanta housing is finally getting their things together and they're really starting to use the parts of the land that they currently own. The other player who will probably have a lot to do with this will be the Atlanta public school system who also owns a lot of properties as well. These are gonna be used in in conjunction with development in Atlanta. Like we know right now, some of the former public housing sites like Bowen Homes is now starting with their new phase of development, but we're talking in the city of Atlanta, um, Atlanta housing and, Atlanta public school system with hundreds of acres of land, non-contiguous, of course, that could be for use. Uh, What you will see is like other places. I know DeKalb County is already looking to some ideas, and you're going to start seeing these spillover effects of one county is doing one thing, the other county is doing something else. Sometimes they work together, sometimes they don't. And that is probably a future of what we're going to see in Atlanta.
2: What do you see, Brian? (laughs) It's a... Excellent question. I I try and stick to reporting on the past rather than uh, <laughs> predicting the future. But you know, I, I I will say, I mean, I think something's got 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 to give, right? Like we we've had this housing deficit for a long time. It, it dates back to when construction stopped during the Great Recession, right? Like we are still not building enough new units to handle all of all of the demand. Um, You know, I think you will see more efforts at the local level to say, look, we need more housing. We need to we need to kind of get over this, you know, our fear of of adding houses, because if we don't add houses, then we're going to have other problems that are far worse than (laughs) than than developing too many houses next to you. Right. Like I I, I think, you know, at, at a certain point. I really do feel like like something's got to give, and and we will see, we will see, we have to see supply at it. I don't know what the what the alternative is. Okay,
1: well, with that that point, I'm going to get us to our final break. Stick around, we'll be right back on Political Rewind.
4: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We're back with more Political Rewind. I'm Kevin Riley, editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, filling in for Bill Nygut. Let's get right back into our discussion with Chuck Efstration, Nikki Merritt, Brian Eason, and King Williams. Uh, So one thing, though, before we jump back in, I feel like I should mention, uh, Brian, and help me out here to make sure I get this right. Uh, our politically Georgia podcast, which is the work of the political reporters, who are usually on this show. Uh, it took an episode and examined this issue in detail. So you can, wherever you get your podcast, you can find that podcast. Uh, and of course, if you're listening to the show, you probably want to subscribe and uh, and get those politically Georgia podcasts. They they come out at least twice a week. So uh, just a little plug for our colleagues there. But um, Senator Barrett, I want to come to you. Uh, we've talked about this tension between the state government and what it could or should or ought to do uh local governments what they could or should or ought to be empowered to do and then uh you know i'll come to representative frustration uh, next cuz he rent he mentioned the federal government's a player in all this but as a practical matter what can be done um and what might be able to be accomplished from where you're set, you sit as one of the leaders in our state.
0: Yeah, thank you, Kevin. I I do I do agree. The federal government um, we we could use some help from them um, at this point, but there are three primary areas that um, we need to improve to address the problems, and three primary areas I think: uh, tenant protections, where we can cut down on the predatory investors. Um, affordable housing, helping support affordable entry into the market for individuals and establish a market of small business developers who are actually accountable to the community and reigning in the monopolies to help stabilize the market. As we're talking about the need for workforce, workforce housing, I was going to pivot back. That is true. I have first responders and essential workers in my district that just can't they can't afford rents and they can't afford to buy. So we again, we're back to we do need some balanced uh, regulations. We do need a more balanced approach um, because I do understand the need and, and the need uh, to have, uh, you know, more of a market. And as Representative Estration said, it is complex. But those are just uh, three areas that I think that we, we, we could look at to improve the problem
1: representative administration, so you you mentioned in passing i mean georgia has had so much good luck with landing these massive economic development projects uh but this seems to loom as a as a challenge and what specifically has the the governor asked for in that workforce housing i mean he he talked about it in his i think both his inaugural and his state of the state if i recall
4: well that's that's right his budget recommendation really uh, called for workforce housing around the economic development projects, and he expressed an openness to further addressing the affordable housing issue with ideas put forward. I I will just say that I'm very proud of the legislation that's currently pending at the state capitol, House Bill 404, the Safe at Home Act, which is a bipartisan measure. It's supported by the Speaker of the House, John Burns, Republican Casey Carpenter, and co-sponsored by Uh, Democrat Mary Margaret Oliver, Amari Crawford, uh, we have uh, bipartisan support for this legislation, which will for the first time put in Georgia code, housing must be habitable, It will allow for a right to cure in circumstances of eviction, put certain limitations on what a landlord can and can't do during um, uh, an eviction process, and also gets to the public safety concern around, Uh, housing. I, I would just submit that as part of this discussion as to out investment from outside of state, the increased cost of housing, the issue of affordable housing, ensuring that the housing that we have and that a balanced approach is taken to protect tenant rights without freezing out potential investment for more affordable housing is the right balance to strike. And I think I've heard today from Senator Merritt, there's, you know, agreement on that. It's, um, I I think, important that we continue these conversations like we're having right now. This discussion is how we continue to bring this issue up, make voters aware of it, and that we worked together to proactively provide solutions.
1: So uh, let me ask you this one, uh, Brian. I mean, what's happening right now? I mean, as you reported this series and you and you saw this going on. Has anything changed? I mean, should we be just as aware of what's going on? Is it slowing down, speeding up? Is there any way to tell?
2: Yeah, that's that's actually a really great question. We are in kind of a uncertain moment in the housing market um, because because of what, what's happening with interest rates, right? Like mortgage, like the um, mortgage rates are are, are way up. Um, there were some some of these large investment firms have actually pulled back on on purchasing um, because of the rise in, in interest rates. Um, but, you know, I, I think we probably shouldn't overreact to like one moment in time in the housing market. Right. Like uh, we know that um, there is still a lot of a lot of interest in single family rental uh, among large institutions, financial institutions, private equity firms, uh, a lot of these firms are, are publicly traded now. I don't think you're going to see this, this industry go away. And, and in fact, what we have seen is, is an acceleration of this. I mean, the uh, J.P. Morgan recently announced uh, billions of dollars of, uh, of investment into, into large-scale single family rental.
1: What about you, King? What are you seeing out there now?
3: Um, more broadly, I think I'm seeing a lot more people trying to figure out if they're going to be renters or homeowners. I do think a lot more people now are going to start retracting from the market. What I mean by that is people who could be otherwise homeowners who are viable people in their, their mid twenties to mid thirties who are just simply opting to not purchase at all because it is just too unaffordable and they're going back to roommates. They're going back home. And so I think that's going to probably continue a little bit more going forward.
1: Um, And then uh, for you, Senator Merritt, if you if you had to say, here's one thing I would really like to see happen, knowing that in the legislature, you know, it's a step by step sort of thing. You know, uh, we've seen that certainly with the mental health bill. Right. Years of conversation. Finally, last year, a bill passed and uh, people said this is the first step. Now we've got another bill introduced yesterday. Do you think that is the approach we'll need to take here? And if so, what's the first step?
0: Again, Kevin, I think there are several steps we need to take, and I've outlined a few of them in this discussion. I will say that HB 404 is a step in the right directions. There are a few things I would like to uh, change a little bit in that, just making sure we're addressing like clear habitability standards. I think the eviction pre-filing period on that bill should be more than three days, um, and we need to remove some of the vague language, but I do think that bill, that uh, rep- representative illustration is a step, but we need to push that f- further. I think there needs to be some conversations with our federal um, government to see, to bring them in, and it's going to take a multi-level state and federal um, cooperation um, to to address the problem, and I'm And I'm going to end with this. I'm concerned about the future because if we're only creating a culture of rentals and we're not creating a culture of building wealth, maybe Brian can get on this. I want somebody to do a model for me on what that's going to look like in 10 years and what that's going to look like on our markets because I am worried about my children. As King Williams was saying, we have uh, young adults coming back home. That is not that is not a direction we want to go. We want them to be independent, to start investing in the market of home ownership. So I'm concerned about the future.
1: Brian, I I can't resist. You want to take a little stab at that? I mean, I do. We do know, right, (laughs) that if a neighborhood is all rental homes. It has implications for people's commitment to the school system, their commitment to their neighborhood, their commitment to safety in their neighborhood, right? I mean, do you, I mean, run with her question a little bit as best you can.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, you know, look at two ways, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like people need the ability to build, to build wealth. It is so, so important. We know how important it is. It like, has such an impact on your ability to like send your kids to college. So many different things. Live like just living in a stable home has so many good impacts on people's lives. Um, on the other hand, like renters need a place to live too, right? Like I, you know, it, it, like this homeownership society we have is what it is. But like we also need to have opportunities to renters to live for li- to live in, in safe, stable homes. Um, and uh, one of the problems that renters are running into right now is they literally can't find anything in their school district that isn't owned by one of these large out-of-state corporations that may not treat them well based on past experience
1: how about you king i mean run with that too see what i want to hear i'm gonna, and i'm coming to you chuck too cuz we're we're starting to run out of time but, but but we got we'll make it work all right the uh, what i want to say to that is i do think it's a
3: little bit uh of a misrepresentation of who renters are. We're in Midtown right now and there's a very pricey rentals here that are actually most more than most mor- mortgages. Um I think the biggest problem is we keep building multifamily apartments and not necessarily condominiums which are things that you can own, right? If we're going to go big and we're going to go dense, we're going to develop more. We need to actually be developing things that people want to own so they can stay in place and they can live in place and we can actually restabilize the market that way. I do think it's also time, as broadly as Georgians, we got to have a divorce from our love affair with the single family home and the eight car garage and 45 acres of land because that is actually also putting us in a different problem with housing affordability because most land use now is just being allocated to the, the development and maintenance of single family homes. Throw your tomatoes at me online. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, thanks, King. And how about how about you, uh, Representative Stration?
4: Well, I just want to thank uh, the panel and you, Kevin, for the opportunity to discuss this here today. I think that the issues that have been raised. Uh, it's important to note, are being debated right now at the state capitol. And these important questions, I think, have to be addressed in a thoughtful manner so that uh, so that the policy that comes out of state government is responsive to the issue, but also is done in a balanced, appropriate approach. And I am really uh, appreciate the time
1: to talk about this today. Thank you. Well, uh, Chuck, you get the last word there. So that's all the time we have for Political Rewind today. I'd like to thank our guest, King Williams. Chuck Efstration, Nikki Merritt, and, of course, my colleague Brian Eason from the AJC. I'd also like to thank producers Natalie Menonhall, Chase McGee, and engineer Victoria Evans-Cash. I'm Kevin Riley. Thanks for joining us today, and come back tomorrow for a new episode of Political Rewind.